0: All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Psalm 51. Psalm 51, towards the middle of your Bibles. We're continuing our sermon series through the book of Psalms. And we've seen how this book shows us how to worship no matter what life throws our way. And today, we're going to hear from a guy named David who is praying a prayer of penitence. Praying for forgiveness. He has blown it. He has messed up. And I believe all of us in this room could walk in his shoes. So I'll ask you a question. Have you ever messed up? Have you ever blown it? Has a relationship ever been fractured because you said something you shouldn't have said or done something you shouldn't have done? That's true of all of us. And yet here, what we see in this psalm is we have hope that we can be restored. And yet I think the brokenness is deeper than we want to admit, and the offense is against someone we would never want to offend, and yet there is an ocean of hope for restoration. And so now here's the challenge. When you hear this message, when we read what David wrote in this psalm, a lot of times what happens is our mind goes to somebody else who has done something else. But this psalm is for you and for me. And it's about our merciful God who forgives sinners like you and like me. And so I've asked God to move to help us hear from Him today because this is vital to your life now and forever. All of us are people in desperate need of restoration. And you can spend your entire life trying to be restored in what the world offers, different avenues and trying harder to be a better person, or... You can go to the fountain that never runs dry and be restored in God. So I don't think it's an accident that the AC is out, that there's distractions all over the place, and yet God has brought you here this morning. He has a word for you, so let's see and do what God's called us to do, amen? All right, Psalm 51, here we go. I'm going to read the first 12 verses, and then we'll get to work. Psalm 51, verse 1, and now check this out. This might not mean anything to you, but it gives us a glimpse to the background, to the guy who wrote this. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone to Bathsheba. A little background. David blew it. Committed adultery, committed murder. This is a guy the Bible calls a man after God's own heart. If David could fall, and he did, You and I can do the same. And yet, if there's hope for David, there could be hope for you and for me. So that's who's writing this, and this is his plea. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. Against you only have I sinned, done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in my inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with isop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow." Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that have been broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Father God, this is our prayer to you this morning. Father, I pray that you help us see who you are in this passage, and help us run to you to be restored. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Number one, look at the God who restores. Look at the God who restores. Do you see what David asked? He asked, God have mercy on me. He blew it, and he knew he couldn't make it right. And so he's asking for mercy. Mercy is God's goodness to those in a desperate state. We are all in desperate need of God's mercy. If God deals according to us what our deeds deserve, we are in trouble. And so we plead with God to have mercy with us. And then he goes on and he says, and wash me from my iniquity. He's done something that has stained his life and all of us have done something that stained our lives. And then he asks for God to clean him. Why does David ask him? Does David go, you know what, I'm the king of God's people, so God's going to deal with me with mercy? Does David go, you know what, God understands who I am. I'm not that bad of a guy, so God will be merciful to me. Why does David have confidence in going to God asking for those three things? Before you answer that, here's my question to you. When you stand before God, when you're in the presence of God, are you good? Do you think, based on what you have done, you'll be rewarded for a life lift? Do you think God will say, you know what? You didn't cuss that much. You gave some of your money. You showed up to church. Come on in. If you believe that, you are in a scary place. When you and I stand before God, and if we're leaning on our works, we're done. But, if we lean into what David leaned into, we will find mercy. We will be cleansed. Our sin will be washed away. So how does David want God to treat him according to what he deserves or according to who God is. Now this is very, very important. Your thoughts on God are the most important thoughts in your life. Your thoughts on God is the most important thing you believe in your life. I don't care about your opinion on which team is better than which team. I don't care about your political opinions. When it comes to your beliefs about God, Those are eternally important. And many people have a wrong view of who God is. David does not. He says, God, do this according to what? Your steadfast love. That is a relentless love. God is coming after you and after you and after you. He is relentless in His love for His people. Not because they are deserving of it. That's the crazy part. But because that's who He is. And when I go through the list of those that God has loved, check this out. You know David, right? He blew it. If you commit adultery and then have the lady's husband go up to the front lines and you pull back the army because you can and have him killed, that is wicked. And yet you see, God doesn't remove his love from him. If you look at Samson, if you look at God's people in the Old Testament, God delivers them out of Egypt, and while they're on their way, they're constructing idols of gold and bowing down to animals they made with their hands instead of giving credit to God. Wicked people. Doesn't get any better in the New Testament. You got James and John, they're walking with Jesus day in and day out. They get to this city and they're like, hey, let's rain down fire on these guys since they're not welcoming our guy Jesus in. And Jesus is like, nope, that's not what we're doing. That's wicked. Or Jesus walking to the cross, his boys are having an argument about who's going to sit at the right and left hand of Jesus. And yet, Jesus doesn't kick him out. He says, follow me. Maybe you know Peter. When Jesus needed somebody to be by his side the most, he was the one denying him three times. And yet Jesus goes to him and says, hey, come on back. That's called steadfast love. There's a good picture of this that Jesus gives. Do you guys remember the parable of the prodigal son? Pair of the prodigal son. If you have children, you understand this a little bit. If you have someone that you deeply love, you understand this a little bit. You care so much about them, and at the same time, children make decisions that's going to hurt them. And as a parent, you can only do so much. You give wisdom, you pray for them, you give them everything you got, and yet this son. Said, Dad, I wish you were dead so I could have your inheritance. And the dad says, You know what? You don't have to wait till my funeral. Here it is. And this guy runs off and spends everything that the father gave him. Then the Bible says he came to his senses. He's like, Hey, even those guys that work for my dad are treated better than I'm treated. I'm going to get back up and go back home and ask my dad to forgive me. And, and I love this verse because this verse catches, gives us a glimpse of the character of God. And this is the view I want you to have of God because this is who God is. So when you've blown it, when you've messed up, when you feel dirty, when you're like, Ben, if you knew all the secret parts of my heart, you would not understand what I'm going through. I can't be accepted by God. God wouldn't accept me. You're not accepted by God because of who you are and what you've done. You're accepted by God because of His loving faithfulness. This is the verse we get. While he was a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. That's the picture of the love of God for his children. And so right now, I need you to get that character of God in your mind and in your hearts. You don't approach God because of what you've done or what you haven't done. You approach God because of His loving kindness, His steadfast love. So David says, do these three things. Have mercy on me. Cleanse me. Wash me. According to your steadfast love, but then also your abundant mercy. Your abundant mercy. You see, sometimes we think we've done so much wrong that God can't cover it. And we overestimate our significance and we underestimate the goodness of God. The only way we get Jesus is because of His mercy. And and I'm trying to to grasp my mind around this, the mercy of God, giving us help that we so desperately need. And there's a a picture of this also. You guys know the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan? Right, I think it's a picture of God's mercy. A lot of us go and see, you know what? I want to be the good Samaritan. This guy was walking down. He gets jumped, beat up, left for dead. Guys are passing him. The Samaritan comes by, sees him, goes to him, has compassion on him, bandages him up, puts him on his ride, takes him to the doctor, pays for his needs. Right, Left for dead, and yet there was a Samaritan that had mercy on him. And we usually identify as being the good Samaritan. And yet what we see is while you and I were dead in our sin and our trespasses and our pride and our lust and our selfishness and our evil hearts, when we were dead in our sin, Jesus came to die for us. And He bandaged us from our wounds and He healed us from our sin. Nobody else could do that. And that shows the mercy of Christ leaving heaven to come to die on the cross. You want to see the steadfast love of God for you and his mercy for you? Look in the face of Christ. And you want to know what happens? Your sin that separated you washed away. I think this is a helpful picture. I can do a pretty massive cannonball in a pool. I jump in, can't jump very high, but when I hit that water, I hit heavy and I hit hard. If I said, take me to the middle of the ocean, you stay on the beach, I'm gonna go out, borrow a boat, jump off, cannonball. Some people see this and their view of God's mercy and his love, my sin, jump off the boat, splash. It would be like saying my splash from cannonballing into the ocean would knock all of the water out of the ocean. Some people view their sin before God like that. If you know what I've done, if you've seen the things that I've seen, said the things that I've said, God's mercy can't cover that. It wouldn't touch the length of God's love and mercy for you. It would be like jumping in the ocean and thinking you knocked all the water out. When you see what Christ has done and you get that in your heart, when you sin, you run to God because you know God loves you and will have mercy toward you. That's the most important part of this message. David had hope, not because of who he was and what he did, but because of who God is and what God does. Go to God according to His love and His mercy. Then, next, we deal with the sinner. Now, hey, listen, I'm not here to pump up your confidence. I'm I'm trying to give you a reality check. It's like on American Idol. This poor person gets up, they can't hit a right note. Do the judges like, oh, you get a, a pass, let's go. No, they're brutally honest. This is what happens with David here. You can't get to God if you're not real with yourself. And let's go through this. Sin suffocates. David can't escape his sin. You see this verse 3. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Ever before me. David cannot escape this. He's stuck in his sin. And it's led him to here, to despair. You see, that's always what sin does. Sin suffocates. A lot of people see sin, and it, the list is numerous, as numerous as the people in the room. Your sin could be pride and what you've accomplished or who you are. You could be finding security in the wrong stuff in your house or your job and your salary and your bank account. You could be finding comfort in the stuff that you do. You could be holding up someone you're in a relationship with as an idol, making sure that they are God in your life. So if everything's good with this person and you, everything's good in your life, but if something happened to this relationship, life is over as you know it. It could be your athleticism. It could be on your success in a team or in school and the business. You're saying it could be you go to party, you get drunk, because you're finding your escape from reality and drugs or alcohol instead of the God who is calling you to himself. And the list goes on and on and on. And what sin always promises is a better way forward. That's how the first sin happened, and that's how it continues to happen. Sin always looks attractive, but it always destroys. It suffocates the life out of you. It's true of you. It's true of me a couple of verses in Hebrews thir- or uh, Psalms 32 3 it says David says when I kept silent my bones wasted away my groaning all day long sin zaps the life out of you In Hebrews 12 1 it talks about how it so easily entangles you you're called to run a race you're called to glorify Christ you cannot do that when you're held down and suffocated by sin Genesis 4.7, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Sin doesn't play well with others. A lot of times we think, oh, we're in control of this. Doesn't matter how I talk here. I, I'm, I'm not. No. This is going to destroy you. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ. Sin always leads to death. Your life, your relationships, your pursuit of Christ—it will destroy your heart for Jesus. So let's see. I got to call somebody up here. I'm looking for somebody with a collar. Rick, do you care coming on up here? Rick's going to be our, our model today. He's got a collar on. Come on. <laughs> Not our our GQ model, although you could be, right? Without the gray hair. Without the gray hair. So. During jiu-jitsu, early on, we wear these things called gis, and we've got nice little collars here. And this guy came up and reached around and grabbed my collar, my gi, like this. And I thought, what's he doing? What's he doing? Like, like we're trying to, to figure out how to choke somebody. Why is he touching my collar? I didn't think of too much of it. Then, all of a sudden, he looped his arm around, grabbed this side of the collar, and started to squeeze. And in that moment, I thought, well, that escalated quickly. I went from looking at this guy, wondering why is he touching my collar. This isn't a big deal, right? It's uncomfortable for Rick, but it's not a big deal. Does that hurt, Rick? No, it doesn't hurt, does it? No. Thank you. You can sit down. Grab a collar. It doesn't hurt. But then all of a sudden things were starting to go dark. And all you have to do is tap, the guy. Let's go. And I look. And I'm like, man, what just happened? He goes, Hey, man. Just so you know, if someone grabs your collar, you need to get their hands off your collar. Oh, okay, lesson learned, right? I can't breathe. Get them. So now when someone grabs your collar, two hands, pop it off. Get it off your collar because we know where that leads. Someone's messing with your collar. It's not going to go well. You're going to get choked out. Same's true of sin. Like, oh, it's not that big a deal. I'll do what I want. Look at what I want. Go after what I want. Don't care about the things of God. I can handle my sin. We treat it like a pet. The problem is, it chokes the life out of you. And before you know it, it destroys. That's what happened to David. David thought he was in control, and before he knew it, his life was out of control. Sin will suffocate your life. So right now, I know some of you are having trouble breathing. That's what sin does. But not only does it suffocate, it also separates. Look at verse 4. Against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David understands that his offense is against God. Now, ultimately, that's exactly who it's against. Committed adultery, so he sinned against his wife. Committed murder, so he sinned against his brother. Ultimately, all of those flow back to God. Think about that. The God who created you who is omnipotent, has all power, who's omniscient, knows everything, when you sin, you're rebelling against Him. It is against God. And that sin separates you. There is a wall of hostility. You can grieve the Spirit that He's given you. You can quench the Spirit that He has given you. Now, married people, you get in an argument with your spouse. You don't want to stay there very long, Right? That separation isn't good. You don't want the silent treatment day after day, week after week, month after month. That's how relationships are ruined. So you've got to deal with it. And that's exactly what God does. So when He sends Jesus, He sets Him to remove the hostility. And so when Jesus goes to the cross, we see the wrath of the Father on our sin. So now in Christ we can have Peace with God. Because sin always separates us from a holy God. I think this is helpful. Um, Growing up, Billy Madison was funny. Right? I watched uh, some of Adam Sandler's movies. I watched them with buddies, and I think they were funny. And then I'd watch them with my mom, and I wasn't laughing. Like, that joke didn't hit home that probably wasn't appropriate. Ooh, this is uncomfortable. Right? Because mom knew what was right, knew what was wrong, and it taught me better. And so in the shadow of mom's holiness, things became uncomfortable. And that's nothing compared to a most holy, all-powerful God. You want to know what's happened in a lot of our lives? We've lost the ability As what some people put it, we've lost the ability to blush at sin. What we call normal, God hates. You want to know why He hates it? Because it separates you from Him. Separates me from Him. And He doesn't think it's a light thing. If something cost one of my daughters their lives, I wouldn't laugh at it. Sin cost the life of Christ. That's what it took to pay for our sin. It's not something to play with. It suffocates the life out of you and it separates you from the God who loves you. And then, finally, we see sin saturates. We sin because we're sinners. Right? And so, I was asked this a while ago in college. Are we basically good or are we basically bad? And just think in your own head. If someone asked you, are you basically a good person or basically a bad person? How would you answer that? Don't answer it out loud. The Bible teaches that we were born bad. We were born as sinners. I've never had to teach one of my daughters how to be selfish. That happens naturally. How to look after themselves, that happens naturally. I have to teach them how to share with their sisters. How to serve somebody else. How to look out for the interest of others. Because when they're born, they know that the ruler of their lives is themselves. And sometimes people never grow out of that. It's called idolatry. The worship of self. I'm going to do what I want. Live how I want. Nobody's going to tell me any differently. It's because we're sinners. Born that way. And then, we see this with David. There's a couple of people when it comes to sin, this is a couple of options for you and how to view sin. David did this deed, adultery, murder, months pass. Nathan comes to him, says, hey, uh, David, there's this guy in our kingdom. Uh, he has one little lamb. That's the only thing that he has. And he's taking care of this like it's his only child. Feeds it. Waters it gives him everything that this lamb needs. Sleeps by it at night makes sure it's protected. And then there's this wealthy dude coming to town. Has a ton of goats and lambs. And This guy had a, a neighbor come over and they had to throw a feast, a meal. And, and this rich guy took this one dude's lamb, his only lamb. Killed it and gave a feast. And Nathan's like, David, what should we do? And the Bible says that his anger was kindled. He said, that dude deserves to die. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to give that poor man four times what was taken. And then Nathan looks at David and says, you are that man. You had everything, and you took someone else's wife. But a lot of times, that's our view of sin. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I haven't killed anybody. I don't do this. I don't do that. And yet, this is true of all of us in the room. Your sin, my sin. My sin suffocates the life out of me. Separates me from God. And saturates me to my heart. And if God doesn't do something about it, I'm done. And the same is true for you. You see this? Again, in Luke, Pharisee and tax collectors, two guys walk in. One guy would be an awesome church member. says that this Pharisee walks in, starts to pray, goes up front, big, loud voice. God, thank you, I'm not like this guy. I fast twice a week. I give money. I'm not like this tax collector or an adulterer or a murderer. And then he goes away. That was his prayer. And then Jesus goes on to say, but there was this tax collector that wouldn't even come to the front of the temple, stayed at the back, wouldn't even look up to heaven, kept his head down. He says, beat his chest and said, Lord, have mercy on me. You want to know what Jesus said? The tax collector went away justified. Not the scribe, not the Pharisee. This is what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of that we will minimize our sin and think there's nothing wrong with it. My life's fine. It's okay now. You won't be justified. You'll never be restored. The only way you will be restored is when you do something about your sin. God restores those who turn from their sin. And that's exactly what David did right there. And so check out what God does. Now listen, I know there's a lot of things in here. There's 12 things that God does. I want you to pick out just a few and apply it to your soul. Pick out just a few and apply it to your soul. All right? Let's look at verse 6. Behold, you delight in truth and your inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. And so what we read next is God showing us truth and God showing us wisdom. You want to be made right before God? This is how you do it. This is how you, you, you want to see how you lean into God according to His steadfast love and according to His abundant mercy? This is how you do it. This is what you ask God to do in your life. And this is what He does. Purge me with isop, and I shall be clean. Like, what in the world is isop? It's a bush. And what happens is a priest would come. DeMarcus, let's say you came to the temple. You have sin in your life. Everybody has sin. And DeMarcus is like, I can't come into the presence of God because of my sin. It's a ceremony. And the priest would take this isop and dip it in blood and then put it on DeMarcus. And then DeMarcus could go and enjoy the, the presence of God. And this is a picture of exactly what Jesus has done for us. We rely on the blood of Christ to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We see this in 1 John 1.9. When we confess our sin, that God is faithful and just to forgive us, but not only forgive us, but cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We see this in Hebrews 9. How Jesus offers himself, sheds his blood, sits down at the right hand of God because it's a finished work. Your sin has been paid for. You can be cleaned. You don't have to suffocate in your sin. Go to Jesus and watch how he cleans your life. Secondly, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. I have this picture. Sean, you remember this game down, I believe it was Harrison County, the mud game. We had these white uniforms and we're playing in a mud pit. And I remember we had this bucket, and we just washed it in soap, and we we turned it around so often we couldn't get the mud out. We put it through the washer. We come back. We put it through the washer. We come back. We put it through the washer. We come back. There's still a stain on those jerseys. We couldn't get it out. And sometimes Satan says you'll never be clean because of what you've done. You have a stained life. And Jesus says, no, you don't. You have a covered life. You want to know how righteous you are before God in Christ? Check this out. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin for us. He knew no sin, meaning he had no sin to be paid for. for. He had a spotless, clean, white jersey. So that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. You want to know how righteous you are before God? You're as righteous as Jesus, the Son of God, is. You can't get any whiter. You can't get any cleaner. Sin has been paid for. Washed whiter than snow. Number three, let me hear joy and gladness. If sin leads to brokenness, when you run to God, He heals that brokenness. And when you get in the presence of God, you'll have the fullness of joy. The bones that were broken now rejoice. The sin that was heavy on you is now removed from you. The grip that choked you is now released. Hide your face from my sins. I love this picture that we're given in the Psalms. As far as the east is from the west... So far does he remove our transgressions from us. Sin's gone. He's not going to bring it up again. It's covered, as they said in Colossians 2.14, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demand, this he set aside by nailing it to the cross. You can't see your sin because it's covered in what Christ has done. Blot out all my iniquities. Man, let's say we followed you this next week, right? We'll give everybody a clean slate. Follow you this next week, and we put up on the big screen all of your thoughts, all of your actions, all of your opinions. Would you be embarrassed? Would you have things to ask for forgiveness of? Absolutely. All of us would. And you know what God does? He takes all of that, delete Gone. Never to be brought up again. So there's uh, two options that you have. You can either have your sin blotted out or your name gone from the book of life. You can't have both. And so David says, please blot out my sin. And that's exactly what God does. Then he asks, create in me a clean heart. Our sin flows from our heart, so we need a new heart. How's your heart today? Do you have a fire to walk with Jesus? Do you desire His Word? Do you walk in obedience to Christ? Then this is what we ask for. If not, create in me a clean heart, God. Quit letting me go after things that are not helpful, things that are sinful, things that lead me away from you. I don't want to do that anymore. So, change my heart so I don't have those affections anymore. Give me new desires for a new life. And that's exactly what God does. And then he says, renew a right spirit within me. This is Ezekiel chapter 36, where he takes out the heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh, puts his spirit within you, causes you to walk with God. This is what Jesus does for us keep us in your presence. I love the picture. The curtain is torn. The hostility is gone. We enjoy fellowship with God. What sin destroyed, Jesus restores. We can be in the presence of God. Do not take your spirit from me. If you're going to live a life pleasing to God, it will be through the power of his spirit. And now listen, that's a a totally different sermon. And yet that's the only way to live a life pleasing to God. And here's the deal. In the New Testament, it talks about how you can either walk according to your flesh, do whatever you want to, or you can walk according to the Spirit. And if you walk according to the Spirit, you're walking with Jesus. You can't walk both ways. right? If you're walking in one, you're walking away from the other. I want to be filled with the Spirit, walking with Him, leaving a life of sin. I've destroyed that. I've killed that. I don't want to go back there. But if I fall, I'm asking God to restore me. Next. Restore the joy, your salvation. There is nothing like a right relationship with God. In Jesus, you have the fullness of joy. And then finally, uphold us with a willing spirit. So I'll I'll, I'll leave you with this. I was cutting with Dad, and this might have been my freshman, sophomore year. We're at this house, and my goal is to make good time. This place takes us 20 minutes to cut. Dad gets the mower, I get the weeder. By the time I'm done weeding and blowing off, he's done mowing, we're on the truck, we're out. I'm going around this house, going, 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 going. All of a sudden, there's this water main pipe. I don't care about it. I hit it with the weed eater. The pressure and the power of the weed eater busted the pipe. I hit this thing and water doesn't just little drop, drop, drop. It shoots over my head and into the side of the yard. And I'm thinking, what just happened? I go to the truck. I'm looking for anything that can fix this problem. I've got pieces of pipe. There's no tape. There's no ropes. I don't have anything. I, I see a cloth. I can't tie it. And by this time, there's a nice little creek forming on the side of this yard. And I'm thinking it's just a matter of time until dad comes through here to put the mower on the trailer. So I do the slow walk. i walking back to dad. Good dad we may have a little problem. He says, ah, oh, the turns the blades off. That's always, I think, dad's biggest fear is us coming to him in the middle of cutting grass. He says, oh, what's wrong? I, I, I nicked a, a little pipe over here. And so he turns the motor off, comes over, he goes, that's more than little. And so he calls the lady. The lady's a flight attendant. She's in San Diego, so no help there. But she gives us an address of a family member where we can go get a key. Two hours later, water's still gushing out. By now, the whole side yard is flooded. It's just done, gone. Gets into the basement. Dad turns off the water supply for the house. Calls the people to come fix the pipe. They fix it. Obviously, Dad didn't charge. Paid for the services. And then finally, we move on to the next house. Early on, I tried to cover up my problem. And it just made it worse. Sometimes you and I do that with our sin. We try to deal with it. We try to cover it up. It's not a big deal. But we all know eventually we've got to go to somebody that can fix the problem. For me, it was Dad getting to the right people to fix the problem. For us and our sin, it's going to God. And I was surprised by the response of my dad. He didn't say, you idiot. You're fired. He said, all right, let me call somebody. Fix the problem. You want to know what dad didn't do? He didn't get on me. Didn't yell at me. Didn't dock my pay. You want to know who should have been paying for that? Me. I knew I shouldn't have hit that. We wasted two hours trying to fix a problem that I created. Didn't cost me a thing. As a matter of fact, he paid me for the two hours that we were working to fix that, he said, Go ahead and count your hours for the day. Let me know. But it cost him a lot. We fell behind in our weekly mowing. He didn't charge the lady for mowing that, and we couldn't get to the places we needed to, and he had to pay for the service. That's exactly what God does. Out of his abundant mercy and steadfast love, he says, I got you. It doesn't cost us a thing but it cost him his son. And you want to know what? Some people will say, well, if that's the case, I'll just go on sinning. I'll ask God to forgive me and his love and mercy will cover me so I'll live however I want to. Next time we went back to that house, guess what I didn't touch? That pipe. Never went close to it again. If you know the love of mercy of Christ and you've been restored, you're going to confess your sin and you're going to leave it covered by Christ you enjoy His presence and you don't want to live in sin anymore some of you right now need to go to God relying on His faithfulness, love and abundant mercy some of you have a wrong view of God you think God will never accept you God knows exactly who you are and His Son covers your sin. So go to God according to His love and mercy. Secondly, some of you might think, well, my sin's not that big a deal. I didn't commit adultery. I didn't murder anybody. Your sin is leading to death, and it will destroy you. And so be restored. Some of you need to ask God to create a clean heart in you, to renew a right spirit in you, to wash you and be made clean. And now here's the awesome news. God hears you and answers that prayer. And so I'm going to pray, but right now I want you to ask God, what is He doing in your life? Is there sin you've never dealt with? Is this a picture of God you've never seen? Is your spirit wrong, messed up? Is your heart wrong and you need a new heart? Is there no joy in your life? Go to God and see what happens. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for being a God who restores. And Lord, I am one of those who are in desperate need of restoration. So Father, I pray that You create a clean heart in me and renew a right spirit within me. Help me walk according to Your mercy and Your grace and Your love that it never runs dry. Help me take sin seriously in my life. Help me be more concerned about my own sin than the sin of others. Confess it to you and rely on the work of Christ to wash me and make me new. What an awesome Savior. In His name we pray. Amen.